Welcome to Choosing Hope, Ordinary People Doing Extraordinary Things. My name is Munira Pramji, and I am the host of this podcast. The vision of this podcast is to connect you with ordinary, everyday people from around the world. People who are making a difference. People who are contributing to their communities and the world in small and big ways through their ideas, their imagination, their challenges, their purpose, and their passion. Today's guest is Dr. Nawaz Habib. Dr. Habib is a functional medicine doctor and doctor of chiropractic. He specializes in addressing the root causes of chronic health conditions and then works with his clients to help them dig a little deeper and find answers to what is holding back their health. He loves to work with people who want to take their health to a higher level so that they can experience optimal health and increased energy. Dr. Habib is also a speaker and an author. He has written a book called Activate Your Vagus Nerve that we will be talking about in today's show. So let's take this right from the beginning, Dr. Habib. After working as a chiropractor for a number of years, you decided to go into functional medicine. So for a layman, what is functional medicine and what made you decide to make the switch? Absolutely. Thanks for having me today. I'm super excited to share my story and get this information out to more people. As a chiropractor, when I was going through chiropractic college, my health was not great. I started to gain a lot of weight through university and uh, through chiropractic college, and I ended up at the end of this weighing at most 250 pounds, which obviously on a five foot seven frame is not an allowable amount of weight. And and certainly there were a lot of health challenges that came from that as well. I was dealing with IBS, with high blood pressure, borderline diabetes and, and high blood sugar. And these were all challenges that I was dealing with in my 20s, which most people shouldn't be ever dealing with in their lives, but we tend to associate more with as we age. But this was happening to me happening to me in my 20s. And for me, the idea was, why is this happening? What do I need to do about it? And how is it that I can make these changes drastic enough to uh, maintain it for a very long time? And that's where I found functional medicine. I was introduced to the idea of functional medicine by a previous mentor of mine who taught me to look for health, to look for the ways that we can create optimal health in our cells. And that's what functional medicine really does. Functional medicine is different from conventional medicine in that what we're looking at is the root cause of chronic health conditions. What are the stressors? What are the challenges? What are the things that are not working correctly or the things that are pushing us out of homeostasis that are thus allowing or causing us to shift into a state of stress and dis-ease. And that's where we tend to look. So now that I've shifted into the functional medicine realm, I work with clients that are dealing with challenging chronic health conditions that they tend not to be able to get any great answers from their conventional medical doctors because we're able to look at things from a different perspective look for that root cause, truly understand the habits, the lifestyle choices, the things that that we've done in our lives that have shifted us or pushed us in the direction of 
uh, disease and, and lack of health. So you came into functional medicine at a time of tremendous pain in your life, in your 20s. And what were some of the results that you found once you embraced the tenets of functional medicine? What are some of the changes that you saw in yourself? Great question. So I ended up actually not, not trying to lose weight, but obviously the weight being a byproduct of what I wanted to do, 75 pounds pretty much fell off of me. I was able to address all of the challenges that I was experiencing. The IBS was essentially gone. The blood pressure came down not only to a normal range, but into the optimal range. My blood sugar has normalized and, and again, gotten into that, that optimal range of uh, where we want to see it in somebody who's really quite healthy. At the same time, and energy changes were the really big thing that I noticed, that I just was ready and excited to get out of bed every morning because I knew I was going to help somebody change their life. I knew I was going to have a positive impact on somebody and that I was just, I just felt like a completely different person. Just my brain was on rocket fuel and I was ready to go and, and it just felt wonderful. So that's really what, what I noticed and that's what shifted me from being a hands-on chiropractor into the functional medicine realm because I experienced such drastic and amazing changes. I knew I needed to get this out to as many people as possible. I love the metaphor of the rocket fuel. That's uh, that's really cool. And I know you have a young daughter, Miral. Are these uh, habits that you're kind of teaching your little little one as as she grows? A hundred percent. What's what's really interesting was my my motivation to become healthy wasn't for myself. It's really interesting that you bring this up. Before we had kids, my wife and I were sitting down, we were talking and we were saying, this is not the way we want to bring our kids up. Our kids are genetically going to be just like us. So why would we not teach them how to deal with these genes right from the beginning so that they know how to optimize their health so that they don't go through the same challenges that I'm going through, that she was going through. Because we wanted to ensure for our kids that, that they don't have those same challenges. And so we stepped into this life together and we're really, really blessed to have such a wonderful little daughter who we absolutely share all of these tools with. I, I make the most effort that I possibly can to ensure that she's eating healthy, chewing her food, making sure that she's enjoying the, the benefits of being healthy and, and knows how to live that throughout her life. That's incredible. And how old is Miral right now? Her birthday is very soon. She will be three years old. Wow, three and so wise in the ways of functional medicine already. As you were speaking, I was thinking about my eating habits and the way that I use and misuse health. And so much of it is really what I grew up with. So I, I, I hear what you're saying about really trying to change that as, as early as possible to give our children the best, the best possibility in life. So I know you work with uh, athletes, you work with entrepreneurs, you work with professionals. You actually work with anyone mm -hmm. who wants to take their health to a higher level. Based on the work that you've been doing with your clients, what are some of the results you're seeing in your clients? Is there a particular story perhaps that you can share with us? Certainly. There are, there are a lot of patients now that I've worked with in the hundreds for sure. And the biggest changes that I, I've noticed are, are just like mine was with the improved energy. 
that's the most common and, and usually the first change that people notice is that they have more energy on a daily basis. But when we're able to address the root cause of these conditions, we're often looking at issues that are going on with the gut and the gut being where a lot of these challenges really start. So where we need to go and, and dig deeper will then give us specific path of how to improve each person's health. So when people are coming in with autoimmune conditions or they're coming in talking about digestive dysfunction and digestive concerns or metabolic disturbances and conditions that are associated with uh, poor metabolism, we tend to notice changes in digestive uh, health as, as one of the most common biggest first changes. As well, into the autoimmune condition, we notice major changes in their symptoms from autoimmune conditions. Pain, if joint pain, for example, uh, eczema, psoriasis, we, we tend to be able to notice big improvements in those symptoms that are happening. And with metabolic dysfunction, weight loss is not uncommon by any means. I've had people lose anywhere between 10 pounds, and I recently had a chat with one of my older clients who ended up losing about 70 pounds herself through these changes. And so just major, major drastic changes that can occur. I'll give you that example, actually, the, the lady that I was um, chatting with, a lawyer, works crazy hours, just constantly stressing herself out with challenges with her clients and, and whatnot, and obviously with the courts and all the paperwork and whatnot. And uh, she came to me when she was about 193 pounds, I believe was the number, and low energy. She was diagnosed with two autoimmune conditions in addition to this, and so initially came in with the desire to eliminate those autoimmune conditions to figure out what was causing it. And so we did some testing for her. We figured out what was going on in the gut. We figured out what was going on with regards to her mitochondria, with her cellular function. We made sure that we were addressing all of her nutrient deficiencies, macro and micronutrients. And we created a plan that worked for her that she then followed to a T, including a lot of vagus nerve exercises, including dietary changes. But she was able to implement these and started to notice major changes. She actually came off of three medications, three separate medications for her autoimmune condition within about four months. And because of these drastic changes, she started to notice about 10, 12 pounds of weight loss during that time as well. We were essentially cutting the inflammation out of her body. We were ensuring that the inflammation was controlled. And then what ended up happening was she said, okay, well, now that I've uh, handled the majority of my autoimmune symptoms, I really want to take control of my weight. And so we started working from a metabolic perspective on improving her cellular function and giving her some tools and tips to, to make those changes. And with some accountability measures that we created over a period of about, I believe it was around four to five months, she ended up losing the remainder of that weight, about 60 pounds over about five months. And her blood sugar came down significantly into the optimal zone. Her blood pressure at the same time was really good. Her antibodies, specifically her thyroid antibodies, essentially went away. And she was dealing previously with uh, autoimmune joint issues like rheumatoid arthritis, which she hadn't had a flare-up when the last time I, I spoke to her. She hasn't had a flare-up in about a year and a half, which is pretty spectacular. That is spectacular. And what I'm hearing from you is that for something like this to work, there needs to be tremendous commitment and partnership between the doctor and the patient, because 
it doesn't sound to me like this is necessarily something simple to do. It's an investment, uh, I, I would imagine, of cost, of uh, yeah. a time, and of wanting to really get better. You've got to have a really big why yes. before you embark on a project like this, I would imagine. That's absolutely right. And what's what's interesting is when people come in to, to see me, I'm able to give them a different type of answer than what they're normally used to. And because of that, if, if we're able to really underline what that motivating factor is, what it is that that person needs to achieve what it is that they want, if they want to be a higher performer, if they want to have a ton more energy, if they want to create a bigger impact in the world, getting them the information to get their health out of the way is the best way for me to do that. And when they commit to making that change, like you said, that partnership is is signed and, and stated, I'm going to do as much work as I can, and I'm going to ensure that my clients get the best care provided, but I'm also relying on them to take on a big chunk of this commitment. And really, they're the ones that are making the choices and the decisions as to what goes in their mouth on a daily basis, what habits they're going to create, how late they go to bed. All of those those pieces of the puzzle need to come together for that person. And when the motivating factors are strong enough and the desire for that end goal is strong enough, people are willing to make that commitment 100%. Out of curiosity, have you had uh, uh, patients that you have been working with where the results have not uh, been evident because of lack of commitment? Yeah, absolutely. Um, From a curiosity perspective, yeah, absolutely. There are some, but what I tend to do and what I've learned over the past few years of doing this is I have a call with my clients before they become clients. I have a call with, with people that I, that are considering it, that are looking into what it means. And that call allows us to determine just how motivated and ready they are. And there's forms to fill out to make sure that there is a level of buy-in, a level of commitment that you're ready to take on this challenge. It all starts with an intake form that if we were to print it off would, would take up about 47 pages. And if you're not able to fill that form out, it's a pretty clear sign that you're not going to be able to take on the commitment of making these changes. So that is a big piece of the puzzle. So I I am aware that there have been instances in the past where people aren't able to make that commitment, but we've instituted ways to kind of weed it out and ensure that I'm working with people that do want to take those changes on. Mm. 47 pages. Whoa. (laughs) And then last year, you wrote a book, The Vegas Nerve. I bought your book, I read your book, and now I know that there is something called the Vegas Nerve in our bodies. (laughs) And I also know that it's the longest nerve in the body. What is the Vegas Nerve and what does it do? The Vegas Nerve is something that most people don't know exists. And and just like you uh, pointed out right now, you now know that it is a thing. The vagus nerve is our 10th cranial nerve. We have one, a pair of these nerves, one on the right side, one on the left side of the brainstem, and that's where they come out of the central nervous system. And uh, then they kind of course together. They actually come down through the neck, attached or right beside the carotid artery and the jugular vein. They're literally in the same tissue uh, fiber as that called the carotid sheath as they pass through the neck. And it's the only cranial nerve that actually leaves the head space. It's the only one that will actually go anywhere else. 
So what the vagus nerve then does, once it gets down uh, into the chest, into the thorax area, is it's going to start to innervate different organs. And it's, I'll tell you why it's called the vagus nerve. Specifically, it comes from the root word vague because it innervates so many different organs. They've actually started to, or they called it the wanderer, which thus meant that it was a vague nerve, that it was in so many different places. And what that means or what that translates to is it innervates the heart, it innervates the lungs, it innervates the airways, the muscles around the airways and the airways themselves. It innervates the stomach, the gallbladder, the pancreas, the liver, the small intestine, large intestine, kidneys, spleen, you name it. Every single organ in our body has a connection to or from the vagus nerve. And it's so easily overlooked because it just seems like such a broad piece of the puzzle. It's a very easy thing to forget about. And I said, okay, while I was going through chiropractic college, this was really interesting to me. But I learned while working with clients that the vagus nerve and the function of the vagus nerve was often overlooked. That so many people don't realize just how negative the effect of that nerve not working can possibly be. It is part of what's missed by a lot of medical practitioners right now as well. Even pretty good functional medicine practitioners do miss this piece of the puzzle. And so I said, I need to get this information out to people. I wrote the book and, and that's how it got out uh, to as many people as, as it has so far. And what has been the reaction to the book? It's been wonderful. I've been featured on summits and podcasts. I've uh, been given so many opportunities just because people have learned so much from it. And, and none of this information is new. What's really interesting is just the way that I packaged it seemed to be easy to follow, and it just had a different flow to it. And so what I did essentially was I took information clinically that I had learned from years and years of practice and decided to package it in this simple to follow easy guide that now has been translated into uh, three different languages in addition to English. So it's been translated now to German, to French, and to Spanish, which is pretty exciting. I did not expect that to happen. And we've sold uh, well over 10,000 copies now, which is pretty exciting as well. That's remarkable. When it has been translated in these different languages, is the yeah. name of the book still the same? Is yes, it absolutely. called The Vegas Nerve? Regardless of language, Regardless yes, of it's language. absolutely still called The Vegas Nerve <laughs> in, in, the, uh, in the respective languages. Okay. Yes. The best part of the book for me were the exercises to activate the vagus nerve. I, I like to think of it as uh, top hacks for everyone to do to improve their health. And what I'd love to do is I'd love to have you share some of those exercises. And I'll, I'll pick some of my favorite ones from the book and ask you to comment on that. So are you ready to play? Absolutely. Okay. Let's start with the breathing exercises. Certainly. Too many of us breathe incorrectly. We don't realize that we're actually breathing with accessory breathing muscles, which actually sends a signal to our brain that we are under stress. So I want you to think about, for example, you're sitting at your desk working at an office, for example, and your boss comes by and says, hey, I want to see you in my office now. What's immediately going to happen to your body? You're immediately going to get stressed out. You're going to become a little bit concerned. You're going to become a little bit stressed out you're going to start to breathe a little bit shallow. Your heart rate is going to go up. And all of the negative reactions that occur, you might start to sweat a little bit. All of those negative reactions are a sign to your body that you're under stress. And 
when we sit and we breathe in that exact same way under normal circumstances, what we're actually doing is we're telling our brains that we're under stress. So breathing exercises help us to recenter and actually get us back into that parasympathetic vagus activated state. Okay, our vagus nerve courses with the parasympathetic nervous system, which is part of the autonomic nervous system. It does all of the tasks inside our body that we don't consciously need to think about. So I'm not consciously thinking about detoxifying my body or beating my heart right now, but my unconscious and subconscious are doing so and automatically doing so. So we're automatically going to shift from that sympathetic to parasympathetic state when our boss comes by to say, come see me in my office we can automatically shift back by using breathing exercises. And with breathing exercises, what I talk about specifically is making sure that you're breathing not with your chest, but with your belly. We should be using our diaphragm as the primary breathing muscle. We should be using the muscle that's below our lungs as the trigger for making sure that we are breathing correctly. And that's what I like to talk a lot about when I talk about breathing exercises. So a really simple one, we can do it right now. I'll have you put your one hand on your chest and one hand on your belly. And just take a deep breath. And notice which hand is moving without judgment, just keeping an eye on it. Is your belly moving in and out or is your chest moving in and out? My belly. Your belly. Wonderful. That means you are using your diaphragm to breathe. And that means that you are not under stress. Too many people, the number is somewhere about 40 to 50% of people are actually using their accessory breathing muscles. It's the reason why so many of us have tight muscles, our trapezius, our upper back muscles are so tight because we're using those muscles posturally incorrectly and because we're not breathing correctly. And we're using them to breathe. So what we need to do is shift so that we're actively using our diaphragm as the breathing muscle. And if we ever feel like we're in that stress state, using those breathing exercises can help shift us back towards that rest, digest, recovery state, which is mediated through the vagus nerve. What I learned from uh, reading your book is I, I seem to be breathing well, except when I would inhale, I wouldn't inhale all the way. And uh, what I learned from your book is that's what I needed to do. So thank you. I'm, I'm certainly practicing this regularly, multiple times a day. Okay, okay. This one's my favorite one, getting great sleep. Yeah, no, sleep. And I think I say it in the book, but sleep is like the gym for the uh, vagus nerve. It's essentially the ability for the vagus nerve or an opportunity for the vagus nerve to recover to do what it really can do and really work its magic if we don't sleep correctly we're not giving our bodies an opportunity to recover and recovery is one of the most important things that we can do for our health we're constantly under stress on a daily basis whether it's emotional physical or even biochemical stress but in order to mediate those factors, in order to overcome those stressors, we need a system to help us recover. And that is what the vagus nerve does. And when we get great sleep, we're allowing the vagus nerve an opportunity to do so. If we don't sleep well, we wake up really exhausted. We tend not to have overcome what happened yesterday. And now we're just adding today's stress on top of it. What that then does is it creates... Uh, a negative reaction. It promotes more inflammation. It does not allow for control of that inflammation to occur. And it 
causes us to get into a state of fight or flight much more easily and much more readily. What does uh, great sleep look like in terms of hours? So this is where we have a bit of a misconception, where hours is, is maybe not what's the most important factor here. The time is important, but in some cases, less is necessary, and in some cases, more is necessary. By hours, I wouldn't give a number. I would say somewhere between uh, six and nine hours is kind of what's necessary. But some people need less and some people need more. And that's where individual kind of preference and individual requirements come into play. That said, what I would talk more about is making sure that you promote an environment in which you can sleep very, very well. And what that means to me is essentially setting up your bedroom in such a way that it is conducive to you getting great sleep. So what you want is a completely dark room. You want to ensure that you have blackout blinds on the curtains. You want to ensure that there's no electronics nearby, if possible, even in a different room or on airplane mode. You want to ensure that the temperature of the room is even a little bit cooler or the temperature of your bed is a little bit cooler. The optimal temperature for sleep uh, in Fahrenheit is between 61 and 69 degrees, which is anywhere between, I believe, 15 and 19 degrees Celsius. So it's a little bit cooler. It's not quite room temperature, but a little bit cooler. And that promotes an environment in which we sleep quite well. Mm. We also don't want to eat or drink anything too late before bed. We don't want something causing us to need to wake up to go to the bathroom or anything along those lines. And what that then does is it promotes an opportunity for our body to go into deep light and REM sleep in the correct ratios so that we can promote recovery and so that we can get human growth hormone produced and so that we can feel significantly better. When we don't get great sleep, we don't feel recovered the next day and we're not ready to bound out of bed and uh, challenge ourselves with new stressors and new tools and tasks for the day after. You know, as you know, I uh, battled uh, three cancers and uh, one of my biggest learning was the importance of sleep. I used to pride myself on how I only needed four hours sleep and I realized how silly I was now that I recognize the importance of uh, that recovery in order to bring your best self forward in the world. I'm going to give you another one, cold exposure. This is my worst exercise, uh, Dr. Habib, but talk to it. Absolutely. This one goes hand in hand with the breathing exercises. We want to kind of make it a little bit more challenging under certain circumstances, essentially. What we're trying to do is allow us to keep our cool under pressure, literally, the pun was intended, right? And what we're trying to do is essentially say, if I'm under stress, am I able to continue to breathe correctly? And so let's say, for example, somebody was to jump into a cold pool or a cold lake, for example, what's the first reaction that tends to occur? Our body is going to tighten up. Please. We get really, really stressed out. And all of a sudden we start to breathe with our chest. And we're telling our body that we're under stress, that this is a stressful circumstance. Now with cold exposure, what it is, is you're actually putting yourself into a situation where you're, you're, you're putting yourself into a stressful scenario, but promoting optimal abdominal diaphragmatic breathing. You're trying to breathe under stress 
as though you are not under stress. You're teaching your body to handle that stressor of cold while uh, being under a relaxed or rest and digest type of state. So what cold exposure, how you can do this correctly, how you can do this effectively, there's a couple different ways. And I'm going to get a lot of ugh from people right now. But cold showers are a really interesting way to do this. And a lot of people hate this. The whole idea of a shower is to feel comfortable, nice and warm. But if you're willing to challenge yourself, if you're willing to say, okay, let me take this challenge on and see how I can handle this, there's a way to build up to a point where you can handle long-term cold stress exposure. So what I have my clients do, for example, is I have them take their shower normally, maybe be a little bit cooler than normal, not quite like scalding hot, but have the temperature turned down slightly. And then once you are near the end of your shower, you've got 30 seconds left, do your best to turn that temperature down as cold as you possibly can. Get it to as cold as possible and let it hit you in a very sensitive area of your body. Personally, for me, it's the back of my neck and upper back. And I tend to, when I feel that, I tense up immediately. But what I do as my exercise is to let my arms come down, open up my fists, and focus on my breathing. I just close my eyes and I focus on that deep diaphragmatic belly breathing. And needless to say, I've been doing this now for a long time. I've built up the resilience to be able to handle a longer period of time. But start with 30 seconds and build that up to a minute, minute and a half, two minutes. Eventually, taking a full shower that is cold is going to be doable. But if you're really willing to take on that challenge, it's wonderful for your health. It really is the best way to limit inflammation, which is what the vagus nerve is known to do. It limits the inflammation in your body, and cold exposure is the strongest way to do that, without a doubt. All right, I will commit to 30 seconds. 30 seconds is great. <laughs> All right. Gargling. So this is a great one. I love the idea of how gargling uh, plays a big role in creating optimal vagus nerve function. So to know about gargling, to understand why it works so well, we have to know what else the vagus nerve innervates. So like I said, it innervates all of the organs that I mentioned before, but there are some branches of the vagus nerve that go to muscles and to skin. And uh, specifically the muscles around the airways, which are the pharyngeal muscles in the back of the throat, and the laryngeal muscles around the vocal cords. And gargling is a really great exercise because what it's going to do is it's going to stimulate both the pharyngeal muscles and the laryngeal muscles to uh, ensure that we don't aspirate water while we are gargling. So what I have my clients do is keep a glass of water beside their sink and Fill it up with warm water. Every time they brush their teeth, fill it up with some warm water, throw some salt in there, and you're going to take a sip and you're going to gargle that water in the back of your throat as hard as you possibly can. That is the absolute key to making this work. Doing it as hard as you can for about 30 seconds and then go ahead and spit that out. And try to do that about three sips uh, each time you brush your teeth morning and evening. And what that's going to do is it's going to, the salt is going to help break up some of the bacteria and the plaque in the back of your throat just help clean up some of the extra space that we don't tend to brush really well. But what the gargling is going to do is it's going to ensure that we are able to hold that water in the back of our throat without aspirating, without allowing that water to go into our lungs. We're going to control the airways and produce muscular tone in those airways. Because the pharyngeal muscles and the laryngeal muscles 
are so strongly interconnected with the vagus nerve. And so when we gargle and we gargle hard, we would know that this is working when we start to actually have tears coming out of our eyes just slightly. When we start to tear, that's a sign that our brainstem is being so strongly turned on by this exercise that it's actually creating vagal tone, which is what we like to call improved function in the vagus nerve. Wow. I remember when I was 10 or 11 years old, I used to go to Mombasa in Kenya and spend a lot of time with my grandparents. And I loved my grandfather. We were reading buddies and we used to have long chats and he taught me how to play cards and uh, he wrote the, the, the nicest letters. But one thing he used to do is gargle really hard. And I used to get so annoyed with him for doing that. But clearly my grandfather was ahead of his time. Absolutely. And what's really funny is I even talk about this in the book. It's something that my dad has been doing for a very long time is gargling. And, and I used to laugh at him and be like, why are you doing that? It's so funny. And all of a sudden I do my research and that's exactly how you promote optimal health. So I actually give my dad a big shout out in the book and say, you were doing the right thing. And I was absolutely wrong. <laughs> This is one I'd really like you to talk about because I tried it this week and it actually works. And that's listening to specific music. Absolutely. Music plays a really big role in our lives. And, and music is one of the ways that we can shift our mood and shift our function in such a strong way. We know that we all have like workout music and hype music and let's listen to some like hardcore rap to, to get us all hyped up or listen to some dance music to, to get on the floor and feel really good. But there's specific music that then is going to help promote a specific vagal reaction and, and create an improvement in the way that we measure vagal tone, which is heart rate variability. There was a great research article that I listened to where they check the HRV of somebody before and after listening to certain types of music. And the results were astounding. They didn't expect it to be as, as drastic as it was. But heart rate variability increased with certain types of music. So first off, it's, it increased with classical music. So classical, piano, violin type music tends to uh, promote an improvement in vagal tone. And then they went a, a step further and noticed that Mozart's music tended to have improved HRV levels in, in those subjects. But even further than that, there was a single piece by Mozart that had the highest improvement in heart rate variability in the subjects post, uh, pre and post. And that's the one that I talk about in the book. And it's called K448, Two Pianos by Mozart. And it is... On YouTube, it's something that I, I listen to whenever I'm in, like I need to focus and really get down to it. Completely instrumental, completely just a wonderful piece of music to, to listen to. And what it does is it really shifts you into like a, a flow mode. We almost shift into this state of like, gotta get this done. And you just tune out of all of the worries that are there and you really go into that focused work. I use it personally with a lot of success. So that's a wonderful little tidbit for anybody who uh, wants to perform at a high level. Mozart K448, two pianos. Amazing. I think we'll leave it at that. And I have a couple of uh, final questions for you. Of course. As an ordinary person doing extraordinary things, who would you say is your role model? 
there's a few people that come to mind. I know you sent me this question a little while ago and I was trying to think through who it would be. I, I want to give a couple of shout outs before I give you that one person, but my parents have always been amazing role models to me. Both of them are so committed to making sure that we live a healthier and happier life, that they've sacrificed so much coming here and doing what they do, that they're they're absolutely role models. But there's one person that stuck out to me, and that was my dad's dad, my grandfather. He had gone through so much in his life, so many challenges, so many difficulties. Just thinking about it, thinking about it right now is making me tear up. He always came out of every story, didn't matter what it was, he was smiling. He was always very happy. And what that did for me was show me that doesn't matter what difficulties you go through, doesn't matter what challenges come up, that you're going to be able to take them on with a smile and just live the healthiest, happiest life that you possibly can. And you're going to have a great impact on the lives of those around you. And so for me, my grandfather really is the, the one that sticks out as my big one. Wow, your uh, love for your grandfather just uh, is so potent. It's just so potent. Thank you for sharing that. And final question, and you know, this uh, podcast is all about choosing hope. So my question for you is, if you had a magic wand and could hope for anything, what would you hope for? My mom told me about some things that I used to talk about when I was younger. And uh, I think this is exactly what, what drives what I do today, is that I want there to be no more needless suffering in the world. Um, this was something that I used to ask her all the time. Why are people suffering? Why are people in Africa poor? Why are people starving here and there? Why are people suffering even in abundance when we have it all around us? Why are, why are things not going correctly? Why is there needless suffering? And I'm going to spend the rest of my life answering that question and helping people come out of it, where if it's possible, I'm going to help that client get out of whatever suffering challenge they have and ideally, they can go and impact the lives of more and more people. And, and that's exactly what I'm going to do with, with Health Upgraded. And, and uh, my, my motivation in life is really to be that magic wand and, and to wave it and to help end needless suffering around the world. And be that magic wand one client at a time. Okay. Well, exactly. thank you so very much for taking the time to be with us today. I know you've got a lot of commitments uh, and a lot of stuff happening in your own life. And I really appreciate your jumping in and um, giving us some really fabulous, practical things that we can do to improve our own health and our own lives. So thank you again, Dr. Habib. My absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I hope you enjoyed today's show. If you like what you heard, click the subscribe button to listen to more episodes. And if you are an ordinary person doing extraordinary things and want to be a guest on this show, message me on my Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter feed. In the meantime, whatever you're doing, wherever you are, choose hope. Hope is the spark that ignites us to move forward and make things happen.